Hey guys, before we started the show, we just wanted to thank all of you for your well wishes, your tweets, your messages, your emails that you sent us in regards to the horrible shooting that took place in Orlando, Florida. This was the worst shooting we've ever had in American history, and it happened in a gay club here. But to us, it's not just about being gay, and it's not about being American. This is something that affects the whole world and has been happening around the world, and we just send our thoughts and prayers out to those that were affected by this, that are affected by all of these terrorist attacks out there, and pray for peace for our world. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 130th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we are bringing you a location suggested to us by listener Angie. And I think the last name is either Lucente or Lucent. And our research assistant was April Rogers Crick. And that is the Woodland Cemeterium and Arboretum. This is a gorgeous graveyard, Denise, and since we are both taphophiles, we're looking forward to sharing this with everybody, and I would love to visit just the pictures I've seen, an incredible-looking location with lots of unique headstones and a great history there. Yes, and we need to make a trip to Ohio that's kind of one of our road trips, so that will definitely be on the list. Before we share Woodland Cemetery with y'all, we would like to point you in the direction of our website, historygoesbump.com. Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We want to thank Shane for sending us the email that he did. We greatly appreciated that and his thoughts towards us and your encouragement. We really enjoy getting those emails. We also heard from Daniel later on Mormon Beliefs. And Denise, he sent us exactly what we were looking for when it comes to how they look at ghosts and spirits and such. And uh, he let us know that he loves listening to our show. And he was really glad that we had covered the Capitol Theater in Utah. He said, most Mormons won't like using the term ghosts except when it's in scary stories. We call them spirits, angels, demons, devils, souls, and messengers. We believe that before we are born on earth, we existed as spirits created by Heavenly Father. I believe these spirits are on earth, but on another plane. I've heard personal stories from people that these spirits can visit us often to their future parents in dreams or visions. So I thought that was very interesting. Mm -hmm. When we die, we believe our spirits leave our bodies and spend some amount of time in the spirit world before they're resurrected, which our doctrine says is also on earth. I don't know if the spirits of the dead and spirits of the unborn can mingle, but Mormons like to think they do. We even made some cheesy movies about that, and I guess Saturday's Warriors, one of them. We believe spirits can visit anyone for whom they have a message. We believe these spirits are intelligent and aware of their surroundings. One well-known Mormon story is of a family history researcher, Bishop Henry Ballard of Logan, Utah, looking for family names in England. His nine-year-old daughter was approached by two strangers on the street who handed her a newspaper and told her to give it to her dad. When he read the paper, he saw that it listed many names and histories that he was looking for. The paper was the Newberry Weekly News, published in England. The date on the newspaper? 
was May 15, 1884, which was only three days before. Of course, the strangers quickly disappeared and could not be found. That's weird. Very weird. Our beliefs about devils are probably similar to other Christians. A couple differences. These look like humans, no horns or tails. And I think most Christians know that that's just kind of a characterization. I don't believe that he looks that way either. They are the spirits of unborn who long ago fought against God in the war in heaven with Lucifer. They lost the right to be born and many of them are angry. That's an interesting. Yeah, because I mean, definitely the Christian belief believes in the fallen angels following Lucifer or Satan. But this seems to be people who were before they were born decided to rebel yeah and then they're angry because they never had a chance to get born so that is definitely a new twist Hmm, i haven't heard that before in our temples we perform sacred rites for ourselves and for our dead ancestors by substitute i won't go into details about the ordinances but it's true some of them are similar to the masons since these ordinances are so important for the dead to have we believe they often visit the temples and watch someone go through these on their behalf i haven't seen anything but i have felt the presence of people in the temple kind of the same way you can tell someone special to you is nearby without seeing them many years ago when the saint george utah temple was built the current president of the church was in the temple he was visited by a crowd of spirits who asked him to perform their ordinances I think I'd be freaked out. These spirits were the founding fathers of our nation and many other notable people from the history of our country. And he just said that he hopes that that sums up some of their beliefs about ghosts. I think it does an awesome job of that. Thank you, Daniel, so much for sharing that with us. We also had some wonderful pictures posted up on the Spooktacular crew. Josh and Sarah Kitchen went out to the Randolph County Infirmary, a gorgeous building, Denise, on the outside, very unique looking. Yes, it was. And Stacy, based on some of our suggestions, she was going to be up in Utica, New York. She and her fiance visited Hyde Hall and they took a picture of a covered bridge there and Jill Phoenix added a little something extra that I'd never heard about covered bridges and why don't you share that Denise? Okay and this I had never heard either so the reason why of there are covered bridges is horses do not see water or even shadows the same way we do and even a free roaming horse can lose its equilibrium around water. Add the sound of running water as well to the sound of shod hoofs on wooden boards and you get a potential emergency on your hands. So to prevent horses from spooking off of the bridge carriage and all they covered the bridges fascinating that was so cool thanks so much for sharing that with us jill learn something new with that yes it was cool because i've always seen those covered bridges and they're so neat and they're kind of quaint you know they're like norman rockwellish it's like oh look at that it's so cool for a photo op and so it's neat to know the reason behind it I didn't know what it was for. I just thought maybe it was decorative, but I thought, why go to all that effort when all you got to do is build a bridge? So now we know why they went to the effort. Mm -hmm. And then we wanted to announce that we've changed up the rewards for our supporters, Denise, because for anybody who's been supporting us, you know that one of the rewards for those of you giving it $5 or more a month is quarterly virtual meetups. And we haven't done any yet because I was trying to find the right platform to do it on because I was looking for something where we could have video, something we could have chat on and that we could keep private because I didn't want just strangers coming in. Something that wouldn't cost us an arm and a leg because I did find those, but they were very expensive. Yes, free was the key thing. (laughs) We are on the cheap here. (laughs) History goes bump for sure. We found a great place. We are going to today on the day that we're recording, we're going to host our first. It's going to be kind of a test so we can get a feel for it, but we're going to do our first virtual meetup. And this program that I found looks like a lot of fun, Denise. Not only does it have the video in the chat, but the listeners can also post selfies 
copies of themselves during it and we can bring them onto a split screen. So we're going to practice all that and see how that works out. We also changed up the fact that it's going to be a quarterly thing. I think we're going to start doing these monthly. And we do have a lot of people who are donating to us at below the $5 level, you know, some at one, some at two. And a lot of those people have been doing it for quite some time. And we thought, you know, the only reward that we give them is a shout out on the show and we put their name up on the website. And I thought, you know, the virtual meetups would be something that would be really great that we could share with everybody who's giving at at least a dollar a month. So if you are contributing to us at a dollar or more a month, you will be able to be part of these virtual meetups. What we do is send you an email or if you're over at Patreon, we send it up on a post and let you know where the link is and how you can get into it. And for those of you who donate, just doing the one-time thing where you just come in and do a donation at PayPal, usually we send you out some of the bonus material, but we also are going to make you a part of those virtual meetups for the month in which you donate. So if you, you know, donate five bucks to us for a month, we'll make sure that you get in for at least one of those virtual meetups. So that's something new we're doing, and we'd love to have more of you guys get on board and become executive producers and join us for that, because we love to have the one-on-one with you guys, and that one makes it even more one-on-one rather than just doing it over social media. want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Johnny. Hey, Johnny. And then this is either Alana or Elena. Hey, Alana. Elena. Jenny. Hey, Jenny. Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Emma. Hey, Emma. Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Lisa. Hey, Lisa. And Luis. Hey, Luis. All right, Denise, are you ready to head on out to the cemetery? I definitely am. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime Bonus Cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to this moment in oddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by listener Michael Rogers. The Capuchin Catacombs are located in Palermo, Italy, and they are the final resting place of Little Sleeping Beauty. Her real name was Rosalia Lombardo, and she was only two when she passed away from pneumonia in 1920. The local mortician was Alfredo Salafia, and he was very skilled. He embalmed little Rosalia, and she is so perfectly preserved that her internal organs are intact, and she looks as if she is only sleeping. Salafia used a secret technique to obtain this result, and only recently was his technique rediscovered. This would be strange enough, but there is more to this story, and that is that Rosalia appears to open and close her eyes on occasion. Her eyes are perfectly preserved and glisten when the eyelids open. This has been caught by time-lapse video. It is quite unsettling, but scientists believe that there is an explanation other than a restless spirit causing eyes to open and close. The humidity changes in the catacombs throughout the day, and they believe this causes the eyelids to pull back a bit, so that it only appears that her eyes have opened. Whatever the reason may be, this little sleeping beauty certainly is odd. the lights. The party's just getting started.
This Day in History. On this day, June 13, in 1966, the Supreme Court issued their landmark decision that establishes Miranda rights. The decision made clear that any statement made by a defendant while in police custody would only be admissible in a trial if that defendant had been made aware of their full rights before giving any statements. The case came before the Supreme Court because a man named Ernesto Miranda claimed that he had not known his rights before admitting to a couple of crimes. He had been arrested for stealing $8 from a bank employee, and during his interrogation, he admitted to the theft and also to raping a woman a week earlier. He was found guilty and sentenced to 20 years. At the top of his confession, he wrote that he was aware of his rights, but during an appeal trial, he said that he actually didn't know what his rights were because no one had told him what they were. The case went all the way to the Supreme Court, and they agreed with Miranda's attorneys and dismissed his confession. Without that, there was no case, and Miranda was a free man. He was retried later based on other evidence and sentenced to 11 years. Irony, or karma, would have the last laugh here. Miranda would later end up stabbed to death in a knife fight, and the decision that got him off the first time would help the murderer. The man who handed the killer the knife was arrested, but because of Miranda rights, he knew he was under no obligation to say anything, and he kept his mouth shut long enough for the murderer to run away to Mexico. The killer was never seen again. This is Victoria from victoriaslift.com. When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring, it's terrifying. The past remains with us, and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past. Woodland Cemetery in Arboretum is one of the oldest cemeteries in the United States, and it is themed around the idea that cemeteries make great places for gardens. It was founded in the center of the Gem City, Dayton, Ohio, in the 1800s. The graveyard is the final resting place for some well-known individuals, and the 200 acres are dotted with beautiful and unique monuments featuring Greek-themed statues and temples. The cemetery is more like a park, but it is not entirely peaceful here. There are spirits at unrest among the headstones. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Woodland Cemetery and Arboretum. Ohio was not very creative when it came to naming their cemetery, so I found three Woodland Cemeteries in the state of Ohio. That is amazing. Um, I'm still focused on that it was the Gem City, so I wonder if I can get bling there. (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling that's not why it was named the Gem City. I think we'll find out as we talk a little bit about the history of Dayton that they'll figure (laughs) out why it was maybe considered the Gem. And it has a lot to do with business and manufacturing. Oh, rats. (laughs) (laughs) No jewels. Uh, The one Woodland Cemetery is in Ironton, and I guess it has a very cool haunted story about a ballerina that makes appearances there. Dayton, Ohio is considered to be a central hub for the United States, and this fact makes it attractive to manufacturing and shipping. In 1796, it brought a small party of settlers known as the Thompson Party here, and they founded their settlement on April 1st. Two other groups arrived later, and the following year, the Mad River Road was laid out, connecting Cincinnati to the future Dayton. The city was incorporated in 1803 and named for Jonathan Dayton. Jonathan had been born in 1760 and was a classmate of Alexander Hamilton. 
He quit the university during the Revolutionary War so that he could fight and rose to the rank of captain. He was only 15 when he took up arms. You think about some of the teenagers nowadays, Denise, and these kids were fighting in the Revolutionary War. Jeez, that I can't imagine. He served under Washington at Valley Forge. After the war, he became the New Jersey delegate to the Continental Congress. This would lead to him becoming the youngest person to sign the Constitution. I thought that was a fun fact. Really neat. Very cool. Jonathan invested in Ohio, and he owned a lot of land in Dayton. Thus, the city was named in honor of him. And another fun fact about the city is the cash register was invented here in Dayton. And our listener, Angie, who suggested this location, works at the old National Cash Register Company building. Oh, very neat. Yeah, I thought that was very cool. And we had talked about that on one of our This Days in Histories when we talked about the invention of the cash register. And NCR, which is the National Cash Register Company, helped develop the U.S. Navy bomb. It's B-O-M-B-E. I'm not sure if they said Bombay, Bombay, Bomb. But anyway, these machines were used to help crack the Enigma code during World War II. And Alan Turing actually visited NCR and advised on the production of that equipment. And for any of you who aren't familiar with Alan Turing and the breaking of the Enigma Code, The Imitation Game, I thought was a great movie that showcased that. It was a very, very good movie. One of the mayors of Dayton was John Van Cleve. He served in the 1830s. His father, Benjamin, was a pioneer settler of Dayton. John loved the city, and when it became apparent that the original cemetery was not large enough and that a new location needed to be found... John led a group of trustees in choosing 40 acres of wooded area on a hilltop. The location was perfect for setting up a garden cemetery. And it's really neat because we saw these garden cemeteries when we were in Massachusetts, and they're absolutely beautiful. Yes, lots of trees and flowers, and they encourage people to actually plant the flowers rather than just lay them at the headstones. Yeah, so each little, or not each little, but each grave was kind of its own little garden. It was really, really neat. Exactly. The name Woodland was chosen because of the beauty of the graveyard and the variety of trees adds the arboretum to the name. Some of the trees here are more than a century old. It was founded in 1843, and at that time it was away from the center of the city. Eventually, the city of Dayton would surround it. July 9th would mark the first internment at the new graveyard. So you got to love that. People are probably like, why would they build the cemetery right smack dab in the middle of the city? Well, they had built it on the outskirts, but here came the city. Thankfully, they left the people where they were. (laughs) Yes, because a lot of cities end up moving them and then you get even more unrest. Exactly. Woodland Cemetery is one of the nation's oldest garden-like cemeteries. Because Woodland was so park-like, it was quite normal for families to take picnics to the graveyard to spend time with deceased loved ones. A receiving vault large enough to contain 12 crypts was built in 1847 by Joseph Wuichert, who was said to be Dayton's premier stonemason. And I'm sure I butchered his last name. It looks German. So we apologize, Joseph. (laughs) Throughout the 19th century, it was used for temporary storage when burials were delayed due to bad weather or for other reasons. Located near the main entrance to the cemetery and across from the mausoleum, it is constructed of giant limestone slabs and was designed as a replica of the Egyptian-style temple of Thebes and Karnak. It was unused for nearly 100 years, but the exterior was restored in 2008 to its original condition. The cemetery was quickly filling with victims of epidemics and women who died in childbirth, In 1848, a cholera outbreak killed 225. In 1889, the Romanesque-style chapel, office, and gateway were completed. They are gorgeous. One of the finest Tiffany windows in the country can be found inside the chapel. Monuments are varied throughout the graveyard and number over 100,000. That is a lot of people. (laughs) 
The Woodland Mausoleum features a stone and bronze face and 22 varieties of imported marble. Famous literary works inspired the 12 windows that grace that mausoleum. Well, such beauty. You know, definitely respect for their departed. And I know we have a lot of listeners in the Ohio area. If you guys have been there, we would love to see your pictures. Adolf Strock was a landscape architect, and he designed Woodland Cemetery. There are over 3,000 trees and 165 specimens of native Midwestern woody plants. Many of the trees are over 100 years old. Nine have been designated Ohio champions by the Ohio Forestry Association. In 1908, the cemetery bought 35 acres from the University of Dayton, and a tunnel was built to connect the properties. The cemetery continued to purchase land throughout the years and eventually grew to 200 acres. In 1991, the Woodland Arboretum Foundation was established and a 1.2 million restoration project was completed. With over 107,000 burials memorialized, there is still sufficient undeveloped land available to accommodate more than 50,000 more burials. This equates to more than 100 years of remaining active operation. Woodland is endowed permanently as a historic site, passive cemetery, and green area and park for all who seek its serenity, beauty, history, and human heritage. Daniel C. Cooper was a founder of Dayton and buried at Woodland in 1818. He led a surveying party to the mouth of the Mad River and laid out the original streets of Dayton, making them four poles wide. He also helped to build most of its early mills. He served as Dayton's first justice of the peace and also served in the state legislature. He donated some of his land for school and churches to be built upon. In 1818, he was moving a church bell and strained himself in such a way that he eventually died. I don't know what kind of a strain that would be, but wow. And he, I think he was only like 40. Beneath a willow tree sits the headstone of Paul Lawrence Dunbar, a famous black poet who was born in 1872. His father had been a slave who escaped to freedom in Canada, and his mother had been a slave in Kentucky before the Civil War. His father died when he was 10, and he would spend evenings reading to his mother. He was classmates with Orville Wright and was the only black in a central high school graduating class in Dayton. He was one of the first black writers at that time to get national attention. In 1883, he published his first book of verse. His life works included 25 books, 15 essays, over 100 poems, 35 song lyrics, 24 short stories, 9 musical shows, and 4 plays. He died in 1906 after succumbing to tuberculosis. The first verse of his poem, A Death Song, is inscribed on his headstone. Wow, what an accomplished writer. Indeed, especially at the time. Wilbur Wright was buried here in 1912. Wilbur was born in 1867, and his brother Orville was born in 1871. Their father was a traveling preacher, and he brought home a toy after one trip that would inspire his young boys and put them on the path of a love of aeronautics. It was a small model helicopter made from cork, rubber bands, bamboo, and paper. The brothers ran a bicycle shop in the 1890s while they followed news of the flying exploits of German aviator Otto Lilienthal. After Lilienthal died in an accident, the brothers decided to pursue flight. I don't know that that's when I would actually decide to pursue flight, but hey. (laughs) Hey, they got killed doing it. Let's go for it. But they are boys. No (laughs) offense to our male listeners, but boys are like, ow, that hurt. Let's do it again. I grew up with brothers. I know this. You know. They had heard that Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, had strong winds, and so they headed there to conduct experiments. And I'm looking forward to visiting that on our Carolina trip. Yeah, that's coming up in about three months. They designed their wings like the wings of birds and added a movable rudder. 
On December 17, 1903, the Wright brothers were successful in flying the first free, controlled flight of a power-driven airplane, and that flight lasted 59 seconds and traveled 852 feet. And probably most of you have seen it at some point in your lives on TV or somewhere else. The brothers became the fathers of aviation that day. Wilbur died of typhoid fever in Dayton on May 30, 1912, and Orville was buried in Woodland in 1948, and there actually is the Wright family has a plot there. See, that's the neatest thing about doing this show, or one of the really neat things is I had no idea that the Wright brothers were from Ohio. I just always associated them with North Carolina. Exactly. So, very cool. Irma Bombeck is a humorist who initially became popular through a newspaper column she penned, and she was buried in Woodland in 1996. She was born in Dayton in 1927. She found her life as a suburban housewife to be funny, and she shared her observations through her columns, through several books, and on TV. And she was absolutely hilarious. I she love, still cracks me up. I love Irma Bombeck. She was well-loved and was an advocate for children with cancer. She later had her own battle with cancer, and then kidney disease forced her to have to get a kidney transplant. Complications from that transplant killed her. She has one of the more unique grave markers. It is a 29,000-pound boulder from Arizona. Her husband wanted to bring a piece of Arizona to her to honor their 25 years in Arizona. I was looking at pictures, Denise, and it had Irma Bombeck's memorial. And I'm looking around going, well, where's the headstone? Because it was just this huge rock. And I'm like, that can't be it. And sure enough, it is. See, she's still rocking it even after death. <laughs> of course, she had to do something unique, right? Absolutely. Matilda Stanley was buried under an elaborate monument at Woodland in 1878. A procession of 1,000 carriages traveled from downtown to the cemetery in her honor. They were not allowed to come inside the cemetery, which already had 25,000 people in attendance for the memorial service. It was so crowded that a wooden plank was placed over the open grave, and the preacher spoke from that in the pouring rain. Matilda was queen of the gypsies in the U.S. Gypsies were a group of nomadic people from Eastern Europe. They have a hierarchy that includes a king and a queen. When her husband Levi died, he was buried near her, and a granite monument marks their graves. Their slabs are called ledgers, and there are messages and verses written on them. I guess that's a custom of the gypsies to do that. Oh, wow. I never knew gypsies had kings and queens. I didn't either until it, I read that she was the queen of the gypsies, and I went, huh. Other people of note buried here are George Huffman, founder of Huffy Bicycle Company, Agnes Moorhead, actress, Jordan Anderson, freed slave and letter writer, John H. Bosley, inventor of the folding stepladder. And we thank him for that. <laughs> Very much, sir. Lauren M. Berry, inventor of the Yellow Pages. Miss Leslie Carter, actress. William Charge, DuPont chemist, inventor of moisture-proof cellophane for food packaging. We thank him for that, too. James M. Cox, newspaper publisher, governor of Ohio and presidential candidate. Edward A. Deeds, engineer, inventor, and industrialist. John Glossinger popularized the O. Henry candy bar. Andrew Idings, inventor of the stereo-optic 3D camera. And a lot of people thank him for that. I get a little bit dizzy, but still thank you. <laughs> Charles F. Kettering, inventor. Earl Kaiser, bicyclist and auto racer. He was known as the Little Dayton Demon. L. L. Langstroth, father of American beekeeping. George Mead, industrialist of Mead paper, which most people know what that is. Mm -hmm. John H. Patterson, industrialist, NCR. And, and he, so he was the founder of the National Cash Register Company. James Riddy, inventor of the cash register. So it makes sense that they both would be there. James Finley Shenick, Rear Admiral, United States Navy. 
Robert Cummings Schneck, Civil War General, member of U.S. Congress and Ambassador to Brazil and the United Kingdom. John W. Stoddard built the Stoddard Dayton automobile. Stephen W. Thompson, World War I aviator. Clement Vallandigham, congressman and Copperhead leader. David A. Ziegler, first mayor of Cincinnati, Ohio. And Milton Wright, father of aviation pioneers Wilbur and Orville Wright, and a bishop of the Church of the United Brethren in Christ. So as you all can see, not that we wanted to do the begats, but a lot, a lot of notable people and familiar names are buried at this beautiful cemetery. And I think we can say for sure that Dayton is the home of invention. Look at all those inventors. Absolutely. And it's funny, sometimes I'm like, we have to like take a break from the podcast because my travel list keeps getting bigger <laughs> and bigger. I never in my wildest dreams thought Dayton would be one of my like bucket list places I wanted to go. Never, never would I have thought that I'd want to go to Dayton. And we hear the same thing from listeners all the time, Denise. They're Mm -hmm. like, I just keep adding places to my list of, you know, where I want to go to see stuff. So I think what it shows us is the world is full of amazing locations to visit. You cannot get bored. Absolutely. And if you do get bored, it's your own dang fault. Exactly. Woodland Cemetery is home to some bodies that were removed from a smaller cemetery, but it would seem that not all the bodies made it to this new location. That cemetery was located at 5th and Ludlow Streets. Many graves did not have headstones any longer, and it was impossible to locate all the bodies for removal to Woodland. Disembodied spirits have been witnessed by many people at this street corner, but it's the spirits said to be haunting Woodland that we're interested in sharing. Many spirits are at unrest here. One of the other unique monuments at Woodland is Johnny Morehouse's memorial. It features a large dog watching over a little boy, and there's a story here. Little Johnny was five years old when he was playing by the Miami and Erie Canal that ran by his house. The boy accidentally fell into the canal. His dog was nearby and it jumped in to save the boy. It managed to grab him and pull him out of the water, but it was too late. Johnny was buried at Woodland in the 1860s. His dog came to the grave a few days later and never left. The dog watched over the grave day and night until it finally passed away. The gravestone almost seems to come to life because people report seeing a boy playing with his dog in the cemetery, and then they simply disappear. Disembodied barks and shouts of joy are often heard. Their story may be just legend, but people leave small tokens at the grave to this day. And sadly, the last pictures that I've seen of this monument show that in 2008, vandals sawed off the head of that dog. Can you believe that, Denise? Who does that? Sometimes you just want to punch people in the face. So if any of our listeners have been to Woodland Cemetery more recently, I couldn't find out if that memorial had been restored, if they got another head for the dog. I'm, I'm not sure if it still is missing its head. So we would love to know about that. But you jerks deserve to be haunted, whoever did that to that headstone. No, it's such a, a precious and joyful story. And then somebody has to come in and make it ugly sometimes. What are you going to do with the head of a memorial that's a dog's head? I And then what, you show it to your friends and laugh about it? I don't know anybody would think you're cool. And if they did, then they're as stupid as you are. A woman told researcher David Weatherly, and you might recognize his name out there because he's famous for his work with black-eyed children, <laughs> the following story of an encounter that she had at Woodland. The incident that happened to me was on our third visit to Woodland. We got over there late in the day on a Tuesday. We didn't see anyone else around, and we had kind of wandered in different directions, looking around, taking notes, and checking on different names. 
I'd also started doing rubbings of some old gravestones, and I was looking at some stones thinking about taking a rubbing. Maybe I was a bit too focused, but I suddenly noticed that there was a little girl nearby. She was sitting on a stone, swinging her feet. She had blonde hair and was wearing white tennis shoes. I looked at her and said, hello. She said hello back to me. Then she jumped up, turned, and ran away. The most curious thing was that a blue light seemed to follow her. I've never seen anything like it. When she got a short distance away from me, that blue light sort of went into her, and she was just gone. I was really spooked and was standing there with my mouth hanging open. That was enough for me. I was out of that cemetery, and it took a while before I was ready to go again. My sister had been too far away to see the girl. Later, I found out about the ghost of a girl who's been seen in Woodland. I believe that it was her ghost that I saw that day. This female child's ghost is one of the more well-known spirits here. She's usually seen as a full-bodied apparition dressed in blue jeans and white sneakers. She sits on a boulder at times, and that boulder is rumored to emit a blue glowing light. The girl seems to be an intelligent type of haunting because she occasionally speaks to people. And she's not the only one. Many people claim to have conversations with people they meet in the cemetery, only to watch that person disappear as they walk away. None of these spirits are recognized by anyone, so we don't know their stories or why they have remained here. A Dayton resident named Ruby shared this story about an encounter she had. And I love that name. That was my grandmother's name. Back in 1984, in August, a good friend and I were walking through Woodland Cemetery. I was attending college at the time and didn't have a car. This was our shortcut to Kroger's. A prominent Daytonian by the name of Chance is buried there. He was a businessman and was quite famous near the end of the 19th century. We were walking past the family plot and we saw a man tending to the grave of old man Chance. He was dressed in the clothing of the time, very old-fashioned. I didn't think anything of it because sometimes the local historical society gives tours of the cemetery dressed in period costumes. He looked to be about 60-ish. We both said hello to the gentleman and he just looked at us and smiled. I wanted to ask him about an upcoming tour of the place when suddenly he just faded away. He was looking at us the whole time he was tuning out. My friend and I took off and got the hell out of there. None of us ever spoke of the incident again. We also never cut through the cemetery again. I think I would probably have the same reaction, but it'd be kind of cool to talk about it later. Another experience features a ghostly weeping woman. One dark night, two college boys were walking home. It was late, so they decided to take a shortcut. They climbed the tall gate to cut through the cemetery. The boys saw a woman crying on the steps in front of a stone tomb. Do you need help? asked one boy. As they got closer, the boys noticed that they could see right through the weeping woman. Are you okay? asked the other boy. The ghostly shape looked up at the boys. She had very sad eyes. She stood up quickly and started to float backwards. She drifted up the steps, passed through the tomb's heavy stone doors, and disappeared. The boys looked at each other. Let's get out of here, they shouted, and they ran away. When the two students told the cemetery's groundskeeper what they had seen, he nodded. He had heard the story many times before. Well, the groundskeeper said, you're not the first people to meet the weeping woman of Woodland. Many people assume cemeteries are haunted, but that is not usually the case. Is Woodland Cemetery one of the exceptions? Do the spirits of the dead walk among the tombstones? Is Woodland Cemetery and Arboretum haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, haunted or not, I want to check out that cemetery for sure. Absolutely. 
on our next episode, we are going to feature the Cliffside Inn, and we're going to be joined by listener Susie Doomy for that episode. And she is a true delight, Denise. We've already interviewed her and had a great time. Oh, absolutely. It was such so much fun being on the phone with her. And she shares a really creepy experience that she and her husband had a couple of times at a location that uh, has a little bit of a historical connection to the Cliffside Inn. I think you guys will really enjoy that. Before we go, we do want to share with you a couple of our reviews over at iTunes. And if you guys haven't left us a review, we sure would love to have you do that. The first one is four stars from Disney Mansion fan. Grows on you. Give it a chance. Hey, Denise, we grow on people like mold. Yay. (laughs) We are just like mold. Found this podcast recently. I've listened to the latest two episodes and the first 24 minus episodes one and two as the sound quality hurt my ears. This is not a scary podcast. It's more like watching a haunting show on the History Channel. As I listened to my first full episode, which was number three, I was not sure it was for me. I'm more of a lore, no sleep, and the lift listener. The hosts seem very NPR-ish. See, Denise, I told you you're too stuffy. I'm sorry. I'll work on that. (laughs) Once I got the idea of the content and started to hear more personal stuff from the hosts that grew on me, I would recommend skipping the first two and start with episode number three, along with a more recent episode. I'm learning new things and being refreshed on history I haven't thought of in ages. I look forward to learning more about the hosts and their lives along with haunted history. Well, thank you for your review, Disney Mansion fan. And I believe after you've listened to all of the episodes, you will feel that you know us. Because I'm going to grow like more mold because we're (laughs) very connected to Disney. We encourage you to join our Spooktacular crew where you will get to know us even better. And uh, since you're a Disney Mansion fan, you'll probably be interested to know that we record in our fabulous studio here, which is just basically my office, surrounded by my Disney Mansion memorabilia. Yes, she does. In fact, that's what she called the wedding was there's no turning back now. And mm-hmm. I have a picture of her after our wedding ceremony. We went over in our wedding garb to the Magic Kingdom and I said, we have to get a picture in front of the Haunted Mansion and that sits right here on my desk. And we also got a five-star review from Natty Camarillo. Super fun. Great editing. Love the spooky sound bites. The hosts seem like real sweet women and their enthusiasm for the paranormal comes across. Girl power. <laughs> Thank you for that, Natty. We appreciate that. Yes. We want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producer, Courtney Hadley. Thanks. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you. Society's Rise and society's fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.